So today is the 15th of February, 2021. And now we have this opportunity. So I encourage you to use this well to develop your hearts, to cultivate mindfulness, bring about a knowing of this breath as it comes and leaves. And so knowing the in and out breath that falls under or inside the uh, satipatthanas, under the category of the body, this physical form. So we see that uh, these physical things, they're composed of the different elements, and we can contemplate them in various ways, seeing them as being this collection of elements, or as the 32 parts of the body, uh, starting off with hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. And uh, we can separate out the body in this way, seeing it as being unattractive. There's also the ten asupa recollections, uh, which we uh, can contemplate, um, that when the body runs out of breath, then what will it be like? Um, contemplate the blood that flows out, or this body that turns green and starts swelling. Different animals come to eat it. Uh, the blood flows out. Uh, the tendons which once held the bones together start to degrade. Then the bones uh, start to scatter about. And then when these bones uh, deteriorate, they just turn back into the earth element. So this is all to do with the physical body. So we can just take up one of these, whichever we feel skilled at, we contemplate in that way. And some people, they like to know the breath, to watch it as it comes and goes, to recite the word Buddha along with this. Uh, but really all of these methods are for peace of heart. And when the mind is settled in a peaceful place, then we can use that um, calm to contemplate into anicca, dukkha, anatta, into inconstancy, stress, and not self. Seeing physicality as being this way. And taking up these objects of recollection or of contemplation of anicca, dukkha, anatta, this is what gives rise to insight. So initially, the knowing of the body as being a collection of various elements, as being something unattractive, these are methods to bring about peace. And we know the movements of the body. When we're speaking, we have mindfulness over that. Whatever actions we're doing, we're mindful. If we're thinking, we're mindful. If we're eating, drinking, or if the body is just still, then we are mindful of that. This is all to do with the recollection of the body. Uh, so we need to train ourselves to be endowed with mindfulness, to possess um, strong mindfulness. Uh, because the nature of the mind is that it just follows after the sense impressions, that these sense impressions are the food of the heart. And when this is the case, then the mind is never in a still state. And when it's never still, then we don't have any peace, and we can't understand into reality the true nature of things. 
And really, this nature is there all around us already, the state of things being in constant uh, changing, the state of things being stressful, being unsatisfactory, and of things being not-self. But the training that we take up of um, establishing the heart and stillness every single day, uh, we do this so that we can understand the truth of nature. And uh, through this we gain right view, and our mindfulness becomes constant. And this mindfulness is a quality that gives great benefit. It allows samadhi to become very deep. And when the samadhi has gone in deep, uh, then the mind is in a joyous state, or in a happy state, or when it goes even further than that, it reaches a state of equanimity. It becomes really firm and compacted, and this is a good foundation for clear knowing to arise. Um, some recluses or some hermits, they develop their samadhi to an even higher level than this, and their training in this collectedness of mind, and so it can reach uh, the very highest levels. But this isn't necessary for us to train in this way. And if we do, it actually can slow the practice down. So no matter how much samadhi we get, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little, we use that to contemplate into the body, seeing it as anicca, dukkha, anatta, gaining understanding, gaining wisdom through this. We contemplate the body as being empty, as uh, being inconstant, as being stressful, as being not-self. Separating out the elements, seeing the emptiness there, seeing anatta. And uh, when we see this uh, in the body, then we can also see this with all material things in this world, that there's no true self to them, just a bunch of elements that have come together. And if we separate out all the chemical substances in the world, then what we'll get are, are protons, neutrons and electrons. And then we can separate that out and separate it out further. In the end, we'll just get emptiness. So these elements, they arise from energy coming together. And if we use our wisdom to pull them apart, what we'll meet with is emptiness and perceive that there's no true self within them. And so we contemplate into the nature of emptiness to perceive anatta. And we use this as uh, the recollection of the mind, something our minds come back to. And this is wisdom giving rise to samadhi. So no matter what posture we're in, uh, we are aware of that, we know that. And uh, we see that, or contemplate that uh, this body is not really me. If we're eating, it's not me who's eating. We see that the body itself, it doesn't know what it's eating. It's just elements that have come together. And uh, so we know this as it happens, as the breath comes in, as the breath leaves, uh, then we know that. And uh, 
but really it's the continuity of these things uh, that they happen one after the other and they they link up uh, that prevents us from being able to see anicca and constancy within them it prevents us from seeing the stress within them and it's the collection of things that things come together that blocks our view of anatta and uh, the mind its views become distorted uh, through this that we take the body to be a source of happiness to be something constant to be me to be something beautiful and our minds go off the tracks in this way and ever since we were born we take things like this we believe this and we believe it right until we die and when we die we die in a deluded state and then it's very or throughout our entire lives um suffering stress is constantly manifesting in the hearts but if we uh, train our minds um through having a foundation of goodness um then we are following in line with uh, the buddha's teachings that of abandoning evil giving rise to skillfulness and making the mind bright and this are uh, the the tenets of the buddha's teachings uh, the very heart of buddhism and that which the buddha taught on maga puja day when 1250 monks came together to listen to this teaching but in order for us to be successful in training our minds they need this foundation of goodness we need to be in a state of a kalyana chana a good being uh one who really likes to give rise to goodness who enjoys cultivating merit in line with amids and also who takes care of their precepts whether it's the five precepts or at times you can take the eight precepts you also have this interest in studying the dharma and listening to these teachings of truth and these become the means for the cultivation of mindfulness and wisdom because we find out that if we listen to other things then our minds just get lost in that they get distracted and amused by those things and we are able to watch movies listen to music for instance uh, but we'll find that there's really no substance to these things that in um watching or listening to these things we don't gain any mindfulness we don't increase our samadhi or our wisdom and really we just waste the time that we have here but if we are firmly established in goodness then we'll be devoted to cultivating mindfulness and we can use the breath as our means to do that watching it come and go knowing the breath as it comes in and we can see that uh, the breath arises the breath ceases this is all a, a matter of this air element and see that it's not me um this breath isn't me and the knowing of this breath as it arises that also comes and ceases and when the breath ceases then that knowing ceases as well 
and the feeling of the breath that also arises and ceases. So we contemplate um, seeing that really this breath is not me. The knowing of that breath is not me. And the mind is not me. And it's also the same for the out-breath as well. That's not me. The one who knows that is not me. And this one who knows, it's just this knowing element. Um, It's not myself. So vipassana can arise in this way in our minds, but it requires this basis of samadhi first. And uh, having this firm establishment of the mind, um, having the mind collected in in this way, gives rise to joy or fullness of heart. And we maybe know already uh, what other um, physical manifestations of joy occur, that the hair stands on end or the body feels very light. And if we develop it even further, then it can feel like our bodies are just floating in midair. I can feel that they're completely empty. So when we use wisdom to develop samadhi, then it happens in this way. And as we train ourselves further, then the mind gets even more well-established in peace. And when it's established like this, then we can contemplate once more. Contemplate into the breath, for instance. Or contemplate into the body being a collection of elements. Perhaps we can use a mantra of when the breath comes in, we recite uh, rupa, and when it leaves, we recite namma. Um, That the one who knows this breath um, is not me. In some places they teach this, uh, to recite rupa, namma, as a means to develop vipassana. But really, in the beginning, by taking up this practice, what we're doing is developing calm, bringing the mind, uh, or establishing our mindfulness so the kanaka samadhi, this uh, small or minor form of samadhi can arise. And as we sit in meditation, then the samadhi steadily starts to develop. And we need to give rise to this kanaka samadhi frequently and keep bringing it up, bringing it up until uh, the moments or the instances when it comes up, start to join together. And then when we sit in meditation, both the body and the mind feel very buoyant, and this shows that it's come to a state of upajara, of neighborhood, samadhi. And then when the mind retracts from the state, then we can contemplate in order to gain clear understanding. And when we're finished contemplating, we go back into the state of samadhi again. What's important is that when the mind um, gathers together well and that samadhi reaches a state of fullness for that time, then it'll start to think, it'll start to proliferate. And as it does that, then we know what's happening, we're aware of it, we use our mindfulness to follow the mind, being aware of what it's thinking, what it's creating. Sometimes we're able to have some control over the mind and sometimes not much. But we try to maintain our composure and to be following, to be knowing what's happening and to 
teach our minds constantly, to not just let go of our mindfulness. Because if we do that, if we allow our minds to just think on and on and on, then when we come to sit meditation, it'll be very difficult for it to settle into peace. So we need to keep our composure and restraint to maintain our mindfulness. When we change postures, then we are aware of that. And uh, we can contemplate uh, by taking our left hand and touching our right hand and feeling the bones there underneath the skin. We see that really there's no self there. If there's greed, hatred, and delusion coming up in the mind, then we should try to really be teaching and instructing our minds. And if we just carry on doing this, then peace will be something that it's easy for the mind to settle into. And then we can teach our minds and tell them that there's no me here, there's no mine to these things, and our minds will believe what we're saying. It will see that there's no true self there. It's just a collection of elements, that the mind is merely the mind. And all feelings, um, they will just arise and cease, and their nature is to be that way. We'll see that there's no true self there. And here, clear knowledge arises, and it becomes clearer and clearer as we practice. But really, the foundations of this practice, they're not something all that difficult. We read the scriptures, and we know that we just have mindfulness over the breath as it comes and goes. Whether we're walking, standing, sitting, lying down, whether we're speaking, um, acting, whether we're thinking, we have mindfulness there. No matter what our bodies are doing, we maintain this awareness of their actions. And all it takes is for us to train in this way and do this frequently until our minds can gather together. And we'll see that this collected state of heart is something really amazing. We'll see that there's no true self there. And it's uh, really amazing when this happens. In the beginning, however, there's a lot of disturbance, a lot of chaos. And uh, many doubts can arise. But don't have any worries about this. Just carry on training, carry on putting these things down. And Lumpucha said that even though we may have many doubts, if we keep on going without stopping, we'll get there all the same. And I really like this teaching because I had many doubts myself. Um, every day, the mind uh, had all of uh, this uncertainty about the practice. And really, all of these doubts were just defilements, um, these chelases that were tricking the mind. And these uh, chelases would tell me that if I didn't doubt, then how would I know whether I'm walking on the right path or not? So they had great energy to them. The chelases could come up really strong at times. The hindrances uh, could be quite intense. 
And uh, through these doubts, um, I could feel as though I just didn't know which way to take. But maybe I'd read some scriptures or I'd listen to a Dharma talk and some brightness, some clarity would arise in my mind. So the Krubhajans, the great teachers, they tell us to just see the arising and ceasing of doubts, that these are just the tricks of the defilements. And then when we hear these teachings, the defilements come and trick us all over again and and say, well, surely that can't be it. Surely there needs to be more than just seeing these things arise and cease. And uh, these thoughts, um, they're just the proliferation of the defilements. If we have doubts coming up, then we see that these doubts are not self. Uh, There's no me, there's no mine, there's no self, no other there within them. See the body as just the body, and this is one of the foundations of mindfulness. And this is how the, the great teachers taught, but they didn't teach using this vocabulary or teach so much in line with the scriptures. And what they told us rather was just really to practice, to look at the mind, to endure, to see things arise and cease, and to give rise to wisdom, to practice so that we know and understand things directly for ourselves, to gain clarity inside our own minds. Initially, we may have many doubts about these things. And uh, for myself, I was a bit confused that when the Buddha said that he knew clearly the body, the feelings, uh, the perceptions, the mental formations, and sense consciousness, um, there was no attachment to that knowledge of the five khandhas. It was just this knowing nature um, that was aware of them. And this knowing nature is also one kind of namma, one kind of mental phenomena. So if we look at this uh, practice well and what the great teachers taught, it all falls within the four foundations of mindfulness or the noble eightfold path or all of the wings for awakening. And these are all dhammas. The satipatthanas are all dhammas or the five faculties and powers of faith, of effort, or persistence, of mindfulness, of samadhi, of wisdom. Um, You have these, uh, the four bases of powers, and then the five faculties, the five powers, the seven factors for awakening, this noble eightfold path. And all of these things are all dhamma. These are all things which arise within our minds. They're all concerned with the path. But even dhamma is something that we have to put down. Because it's not me who practices. It's not me who knows. It's not me who sees. We just leave all these things alone. Allow them to just be nature. And we have to understand that we put these things down, we put the path down. And that's what happens in the end, 
Um, that's the kind of fruition of the practice, is putting all of these things down. In the beginning, however, attachment is something that's natural and normal for us. And so we attach to this part of the practice and taking it as me who practices. But we should try to see all of these things as being Dhamma. And just like living in a forest uh, like this, and we see leaves fall every single day. And we can contemplate these leaves as being Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta, and do this many, many times in one day. And see that these things, they don't stay around, they're not stable. Contemplate and uh, make this contemplation a foundation uh, to give rise to skillfulness and to make our skillfulness complete. And so, this giving rise to kusala, this is a matter of mindfulness and samadhi. And this works to purify our mind in stages uh, to bring about clarity. But when we really see into the nature of things, this happens in a single moment, and it doesn't come from thought. And then when the mind experiences this, there's inner rapture that happens all throughout the day and night, and maybe for many, many days in a row. This uh, that happens through the clarity of the Dhamma. So I ask for all of you to really train your minds in this way, to be aware of the breath as it comes and goes, seeing it as being an element that uh, there's no self there, that this mind doesn't have a true self to it either. And these are all means to use our thoughts uh, to bring about samadhi. And this is something that we can do to teach our minds about the nature of this body. It's a collection of elements, and uh, this mind is just dhamma. It's a knowing element. There's no true self to it. And it depends on us which methods we use to teach our minds. Whatever we use, we try to develop that constantly. Try to always bring up this knowing. Try to be cultivating samadhi and sati. And we should know that this is the right path. And this is the path that takes us to letting go, to abandoning, craving, and clinging. And this is something that we can do. And this is what frees us from suffering, that allows the mind to become pure. In the beginning, however, there's, the mind is in a state of chaos most of the time. And sometimes there's just no mindfulness or steadiness to the heart. So we need to be strong. We need to forbear and to try to bring up and develop these qualities of mindfulness and samadhi. As we do this, then they become firmly established and wisdom does arise. There was one time that I went to stay in a channel ground and there was great fear that came up. But I taught my mind. I taught it that, well, if I die, then I'll just die. And as I was staying there, then my samadhi gathered together and I could see into emptiness. And I went from being in a state of terror to seeing that really there's nothing there. The moon was shining very brightly that night. And I was able to uh, bring up this awareness and see all the things around me as uh, dhamma. That uh, the moon was 
lighting up the bones that were scattered about. And I could see these things as just being nature. And uh, initially, while I was staying there, I had just had the most intense form of terror. Uh, but I stayed. I persisted because I was intent on finding the Dhamma. I was following in the footsteps of Bodhinyana, of Nupucha. So this is how we have to train ourselves. And we've had this very good opportunity now to meet with the teachings of the Buddha, and it's not easy for us to find this. So may all of you be intent in putting these teachings into practice. <laughs>